Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus. My Olympian mission is to promote lifelong personal development, human empowerment, out-of-the-box thinking, creative self-expression, and a dedication of one's unique talents to community service. All of my labors in this lifetime celebrate the hero's journey in myth, legend, spirituality, popular culture, and in daily life. I firmly believe that the human spirit is essentially heroic and always seeking ways to express its innate nobility and greatness, and that a life fully lived, dedicated to actualizing the highest we can conceive, is the noblest expression of human existence. Now, like many, I've been guided by a vision, and I will share my vision with you. I call my vision the primal vision. I glimpse the top of a mountain shrouded in mist. Hovering on high, I can discern the ruins of an ancient Acropolis complex in the timeless twilight. I wait alone, formless in the silence. In time, a lone figure, powerfully built and clad in the skin of a lion, makes his way toward the abandoned temple of the highest. His hair and beard, still mostly brown, though streaked with white and gray. In his right hand, he wields a knobby club studded with bronze. My consciousness enters this figure, and henceforth I see through his eyes. I know that I am now Hercules, son of Zeus and progenitor of my line. Entering the fallen structure, I move through it unerringly until I reach a rectangular stone table a long-neglected altar to the Olympians. Upon the altar is an antique horn from a heavenly bull, I tell myself. I then realize that I may have been here many times before and that I know exactly what I must do. The horn is a monstrous size and etched with arcane glyphs. 
Some of the etchings are inlaid with silver. I put down my club, cautiously lift the artifact to my lips, then blow into the smaller end with all my strength. The bellowing call echoes through the firmaments. With the horn of summoning still in hand, I exit the temple and peer purposefully into the murky skies near where I myself once hovered. I can detect faint presences, spirits that have answered my summons who will help me in carrying out my Olympian mission. Some take on form while others remain formless. But this I know, all who have responded will assist me in some unique and important way. And with this realization, the vision starts to fade. I'm blessed with a brief glimpse of the ruins restored to their former glory. The sky is lambent, blue, and clear. There are mythic beings engaged in joyous activity, I myself among them. And I realize that this is Mount Olympus, my eternal point of origin and return, my heaven, and my soul's true home. This waking dream sequence, which I first experienced in my early childhood, has accompanied me, guided me, informed me, and led me throughout my life. The vision is as vivid today as it was when I first visited me. And as I progress through my earthly sojourn, the ending becomes increasingly more vivid and clear. Tonight, we are going to have mythic inspiration, starting with Ron Carson's Colosseum. Ron is not with us yet, but he will soon return. And in the interim, I'll play a song that glorifies antiquity, and we can enjoy it together while we wait for Ron to arrive. Here's one by Becca Kelsor, Odyssey. I doubt if it's about Odysseus and his crew, but it's named after them.
That was Odyssey by Becca Kelso. And now to introduce Ron Carson, master of Ron Carson's Coliseum. Greetings and welcome, Ron. How are you? Good evening, Hercules. Uh, Running a little late, like I told you last night when we got together. uh, I was delayed because of uh, running a uh, sporting event here at the radio station. But here we are, and I'm about to favor you with another uh, peplum gem from the Colosseum, and uh, we're going on a biblical note once again, and we're going to uh, focus on the greatest story ever told. Ta-da! <laughs> and this was, of course, a 1965 feature film which took four hours and 20 minutes if you paid your ticket to go to the cinema to see this uh when it first came out, of course, back in those days when the movies were long, you had the uh, proverbial intermission where you had you know, 15, 20 minutes to just rest up, get some refreshment, oh. maybe smoke a cigarette, and uh, come back and watch the rest of the movie. But uh, this truly was a very, very good adaptation of the life of Jesus Christ, which uh, was adapted from a novel that was first done by Fulton Orsler, who actually was associated with Reader's Digest, the condensed magazine, if you recall. Wow. Yes, I remember. Many a time we were reading articles from the uh, Digest, and uh, still a popular entity, thank God, in this so-called 21st century. Uh, 20th Century Fox eventually uh, took the rights to the film. Um, it was produced by a gentleman named Daryl F. Zanuck. Of course, uh, he was very, very instrumental in bringing us fantastic movies throughout his uh, genre. Uh, This is a film that actually took a very long time to uh, prepare. The screenplay took two years to write, and then uh, there was a lot of financial excesses during production, and because they actually started shooting this film like about two to three years earlier than its original release. And uh, the beautiful part about it, everybody thought that this was shot overseas in the Middle East, but it was not. This was right here locally in the United States. Um, They used portions of Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, and uh, pretty much they wanted to keep it local instead of going over uh, seeing the budget. Now, 47 sets were constructed during this movie, and when the scenes of Jerusalem were near the northwest corner of an area known as RKO 40 Acres in Hollywood, and principal photography ran over nine months or more. And the beautiful part about it is the director, George Stevens, also used a lot of uh, local extras, including ROTC cadets who played Roman soldiers and uh, over 500 Navajo Indians from a nearby reservation also were uh, pretty much uh, used in the film. And it was, of course, if you remember in the old days when we were growing up, uh, they were showing movies shown in Cinerama. Yes, that I remember. That was a genre of the way uh, films were presented back in the 1960s, and pretty much it was a very dynamic setting for this uh, particular picture. And the bottom line is that it opened up to some good reviews from Variety magazine calling the film, quote, a big, powerful, moving motion picture demonstrating vast cinematic resource And the Hollywood Reporter stated, quote, George Stevens created a novel, reverent, and important film with his view of a crucial event in the history of mankind, of course, which was 
the life and times of Jesus Christ. Now, if you uh, remember, the uh, cast was also dynamic in this movie. I mean, a lot of yeah. very well-known names, including a gentleman by the name of Max von Sydow, who portrayed the title role of Jesus. You may remember him later as Father Marin in The Exorcist. And I do believe he uh, was Dutch Gordon and uh, King Osric the Usurper in Conan. Yes, that's what you told me yes last night that he was also in uh, the Conan movie, which you're very yes. near and dear to in your life too. Um, but other big names included uh, Claude Rains in his final film as Herod the Great. Dorothy McGuire portrayed the Virgin Mary. Charlton Heston was John the Baptist. I mean, what a transition. He was Moses in the Ten Commandments, and in this picture he was John the Baptist. So, And, of course, he did Ben-Hur, too, another classic peplum film, which we spotlighted in the Coliseum a while back. A while back, yes. Uh, Jose Ferrer was Herod and Epus. Uh, our friend, our Greek compadre, Telly Savalas, wonderful as Pontius Pilate in this film. Mm-hmm. Martin Landau was Caiphas. Uh Judas was portrayed by David McCallum, who, of course, at the same time was uh, on Man from Uncle with Robert Vaughn. I remember him. Yep, Donald Pleasance was the wow. dark hermit. Roddy McDowell also, who did quite a few Peplum films before he was uh, in Planet of the Apes movies. He played Matthew, one of the disciples, and uh, veteran actor Ed Wynn was Old Aram. So there is a very, very nice ensemble of people that were put together to do this uh, movie. And uh, I thought Von Sito's performance of uh, Our Lord and Savior was just absolutely phenomenal in this picture. I mean, I thought he did a fantastic job portraying Christ, and he did all the uh, mannerisms and movements. Uh, I mean, just as good as that when I enjoyed Jeffrey Hunter in King of Kings. So this is a was another. And uh, it was praised as being uh, um, a milestone in uh, filmmaking. How does it stand up to uh, today? How do people view this film today? Well, a lot of uh, people, you know, that uh, want to pretty much explore the life and times of our Lord and Savior still appreciate this picture. And it's, like I said, it was very well done well-oiled machine. I mean, George Stevens was a very accomplished director at the time. And uh, this uh, was uh, starting out from the beginning when the three wise men were uh, following the shining star to Jerusalem in search of the newborn king. And, of course, they land in Bethlehem where Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day. And then uh, the obstacle was King Herod the Great. Reigns, of course, if you remember... He played uh, Louis in Casablanca, another memorable mm-hmm. role of his. And he also played the Invisible Man in uh, horror movies. And it was a nice swan song in his career before he passed away in 1967 to portray King Herod the Great, who, of course, uh, was infamous in uh, killing all newborn boys in Bethlehem around the time that uh, Jesus Christ was born because he did not want to have a Messiah, so to speak, uh, take over the uh, area. And the uh, film also uh, follows Joseph and Mary successfully escaping into Egypt and then coming back to their hometown of Nazareth. And then they 
bump into the prophet named John the Baptist, and then Jesus ascends to the nearby desert mountains where he finds the uh, dark hermit, which was very, very wonderfully portrayed, like I told you, by Donald Plessis in this movie. And basically, uh, John the Baptist actually became Jesus Christ's godfather, if you remember. He baptized our Lord and Savior. And January 7th is the feast day of that, if you remember, the day after the Epiphany. That I did not remember, but thank you for reminding me. Well, you know, you're... Your, uh, our, our, our cousin, my cousin Ellen, your little sister was born on day of the Epiphany, if you remember. Yes, she was. So it's pretty much, um, you know, intertwined events in history, if you get my drift, personal and uh, historical, as they say. Um, it also fo- followed when Christ finally collects all his disciples. And, um, you know, he uh, first welcomes Judas, Andrew, Peter, and John, and promises to make them fishers of men. And then they stop in uh, Bethany, and they uh, see Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, if you remember. And then Matthew joins in on the uh, list of 12 disciples. And then finally Thaddeus and Thomas also join him as well. So... This, this is a documented account of uh, Jesus Christ's, uh, you know, life and how he slowly but surely has become the Lord and Savior in this world here. And um, the now event. How close, how close did they follow the Bible narrative? Because a lot of these films take uh, liberties with the their subject matter. That's true for the mythological epics as well. And the historical epics that they... Well, uh, I would say that the uh, film was true to its word. Okay. I would say the film was true to its word. Uh, from Judging from what I remember seeing in the movie, that uh, it was a complete documentation of the uh, life and times of Jesus Christ. And eventually, the film takes you to Palm Sunday when he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem. And then uh, a lot of the uh, local people question his abilities to perform miracles and to uh, pretty much uh, say that he's the son of God. And they are very, very uh, skeptical about that, slowly but surely. And there's a scene where Judas is offered the 30 pieces of silver to turn in Jesus and then finally was put on trial. And that's where Telly Savalas shines in this picture. If you remember when he played Pontius Pilate, did not have any uh, inclination of Jesus Christ being guilty in any way, shape, or form. And the crowd, unfortunately, wanted him sentenced to death by crucifixion, so they intend to support a murderer by the name of Barabbas to free him instead and sentence Christ to death. And then, of course, uh, toward the end of the movie, you saw the crucifixion and... Eventually, the resurrection takes place, and uh, finally, the final scene was Jesus ascending to heaven before the disciples and the crowd, and he stated that he will, quote, always be with them, even unto the end of the world. So, pretty much, I would say, the uh, film was very true to the biblical sense. I mean, it did have a lot of peplum overtones. Of course. And 
the bottom line is that it worked very well. It was and it was uh, very well received by the audience and by critics in turn. So, and anything you'd like to add to this? Is it is huh? easily available? Can you still purchase it on Amazon, or is it out of print? I do believe the DVD is available. Yeah, and I think the uh, disc does come with a break because I, you know, I have some uh, movies that are of length, like Lawrence of Arabia, The Ten Commandments, Doctor Zhivago, um, going into comedy. It's a mad, 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 mad world where they were very, very long pictures, and there is a, actually a chapter where you have the intermission with the music and everything. They're also fun. I, I have a few movies like that as well. But be prepared to sit through a, a long four-hour-plus picture, but it's worth every single minute of it. I mean, this is a highly endorsed peplum film from the Coliseum, from yours truly. I mean, really, it's just... Uh, Next to King of Kings, it is one of my favorite films depicting the life of Christ. Because if you remember, we did uh, talk about the Jeffrey Hunter movie also a while back, and I gave it a very, yeah. very good uh, hearty review as well. But uh, this one, I How think, would... surpassed it by a hair because of the fact that this had a real all-star cast to it, and each and every performer put their two cents in in the best possible way in the characters that they portrayed. That was going to be the question I was asking. How would you compare them? But you, excuse me, you answered it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like read your mind, Southern. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> uh, now, I'm going to be having a new Peplum show soon, and oh, okay. uh, I don't know what the venue will, will be. I've had uh, conversations with local television station. I've had conversations with local radio station. So. Uh, I uh, don't know yet where the show is going to take a form, uh, but I'd like to invite you. I already invited uh, uh, Brian Walker from Brian's uh, Drive-In Theater. um, Yes, we're going to talk about his uh, website uh, down the road because that's our our review. And uh, and as for uh, inviting me, I will definitely definitely take you up on your offer. I am 110% aboard on this for sure. Great. I want to get as many of the voices of Peplum. And uh, Nicholas Thayek is the author of the new Peplum. Um, he's going to yes. be on the show. And his uh, better half, Michelle uh, Brittany, who has Michelle's uh, Musings on Mummies uh, website. Uh, so we're going to have mm-hmm. a very interesting uh, selection of voices for the Peplum uh, films. Okay, great. Uh, now, let me introduce Brian Walker a little bit to those who don't know him. Uh, many, 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 many moons ago on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, there yep. wasn't as much to find as there currently is. But you could find something called Brian's Drive-In Theater if you were into Peplum or B-movies. And he had Hercules pages that had most of the actors from the Peplum films, or the stars at least. Uh, and he had a lot of information on uh, them. It was kind of like an earlier version of Peplum Paradise. Uh, and it's still around, by the way. Uh, Brian used to announce the birthdays and the days of passing for the different stars. He used to uh, mm-hmm. post information and pictures and so on. He still does, uh, mostly on his website. He's also a member of uh, Peplum Paradise, which, as everyone who listens to the show knows, is one of our f- favorite places uh, to hang out on uh, Facebook. But uh, Brian's is an institution in and of itself, and Brian knows a lot 
about these uh, movies. So uh, what were your thoughts on exploring Brian's driving theater? I thought the uh, site was excellent. I mean, I just thought that he uh, pretty much, um, you know, was on the mark on a lot of the subject matter, and it makes for a very interesting uh, surf on the web, if you ask me. And I do believe that, you know, he's very knowledgeable about the uh, subject matter and, uh, of course, the uh, near and dear sword and sandal films that you and I and everybody that are associated with, uh, you know, admire and love in more ways than one as we keep this uh, momentum going because there's still so much to discover when it comes to peplum films. And it's very, very important to... uh, continue benchmarking uh, this type of uh, genre of movies because of the fact that uh, they're pretty much uh, a fabric of our society from the 20th century. And in my opinion, they don't make movies like this anymore. And we have to keep at times to preserve everything like we would do our past. And this is a very, very important and, uh, you know, charming part of our past. And, uh, you know, that's what it comes down to. Uh, it, it was very important during our formative years and it continues to uh, be important. And, uh, as, uh, I become part of more and more communities, I don't get a chance to interact as much, but, uh, uh, the effect that these movies had not only on me, but on countless other people, uh, has to be experienced to be appreciated. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And the bottom line is that you have to, uh, you know, keep the momentum going if you want to spread the word that uh, there's still so much to discover in our genre of peplum movies in more ways than one. I mean, there's always an adventure awaiting to be rediscovered once again. Oh, yes, indeed. And uh, these movies, now that we're switching from Blu-ray to 4K, (laughs) I don't have a 4K uh, player yet. I have a Blu-ray, finally. Uh, But uh, Mm -hmm. in the translation, many of them are lost. Like many movies that were available on VHS never made it to DVD. And uh, many movies that were available on DVD have not yet made it to Blu-ray. So it's sad that these things get kind of lost in the shuffle. And uh, Brian told me that there's a site of archives, uh, of uh, movie archives, where you can find a lot Mm -hmm. of these movies free. uh, And uh, they preserve them. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Interesting. But I I definitely think that uh, Brian is on the mark when it comes to uh, doing – his research and very much makes it for a very entertaining site too. And I do believe uh, I want people to actually tap into the uh, page as well. So why don't you give people the web address just as a refresher to have people go over and check it out for themselves. If they go to uh, any search engine and type in Brian's drive-in theater, it'll take them right there. And uh, the same thing on Facebook. If they type in Brian Sarvin Theater, it'll bring you to Brian's uh, uh, Facebook page. Excellent. Excellent. 
And yep. I remember years and years and years ago, again, there weren't that many places to go look at uh, Peplum on the internet, uh, but I had at one point printed out all the Hercules pages and, and uh, used a three-hole puncher and put them in a loose leaf. And this way I had them uh, uh, with me at all mm-hmm. times. And I visited every now and then to see if he added anything else because uh, back then he was much more active with the site. So there'd often be new uh, uh, information there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And, I'm looking uh, forward to the new show because uh, – you're focusing uh, more and more on biblical epics, and uh, Michelle yeah. is focusing more and more on Egyptian epics, and Nicholas is focusing more and more on new peplum, and of course uh, Brian uh, Walker is focused on the old peplum, and uh, with me the focus is primarily on the uh, uh, mythical adventure. So uh, one or two right. more voices, and we should have a really great uh, um, echo chamber of information uh, for people to come and speak about us. Uh, down the line, you know, when uh, our, our show was on and they used to visit our show and get all this information and uh, hear all these different people speak. So uh, we too are perpetuating a very old tradition and hopefully passing it on to a next uh, generation. Oh, absolutely. I think we've got it all covered, all angles. Now, I'm evolving all the shows. How would you like to see the Colosseum evolve uh, over like the second quarter. Right now we're working on the first quarter of 2020 uh, and I'm starting to uh, uh, put down the ideas for the second quarter. How would you like Ron Carson's Colosseum to evolve uh, in uh, the year ahead? What I want in regard to the Colosseum is to pretty much remind people about such fantastic cinema that was in our lap during the course of the 20th century. And I want people to revisit the, uh, the, the movies that we review once a month over here because it's very, very much uh, a fabric of our uh, life. And if you're a fan of this sword and sandal genre, you must, uh, you know, take the time and reinvest in getting reacquainted with some of these fantastic pictures that were pretty much uh, been associated with in our lives. Do you think it would help to uh, make a link toward the uh, uh, YouTube uh, rendition of these movies? A lot of these movies are available for free on YouTube. Yeah. So do you think uh, that uh, linking to the movie uh, from the uh, announcement for the episode would be helpful to people because then they can just click on it and watch the movie. Um, as long as we have uh, permission to do so from the uh, film company, absolutely. Yeah, I believe if, if they're on YouTube, uh, you can put a link to them from anywhere. I'm definitely for it, you know? Okay. So today I will seek out to see if they have the greatest story ever told with Max von Snydow, and I put a link to it if I could find it. Yep. I mean, if you remember, you know, in The Exorcist, he's very good at uh, doing priestly roles, you know? Yes, he was very good at that, I remember. And Max is still with us, God love him. You know, he's 90 years old, and he's still, uh, you know, around, and... um, you know, may God bless him each and every day. I mean, for the fact that he uh, 
pretty much uh, was, you know, the son of God in this 1965 epic. I think he was in pretty good hands to be blessed over here. Yeah, I, I still see him as Flash Gordon and King Osric. Those are the two defining roles uh, for me uh, because of who I am and how I am. Uh, but uh, he did make a very uh, unique and powerful Jesus. So he, he, he did the role justice. Oh, he did. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do, uh, I do agree with you on that. Now, you had mentioned yeah. that uh, you're, you are a radio personality on other stations. Um, aside from well, only one station TV, right now. Only one station. Only one. Aside from following the yeah, I, uh, I'm no longer TV. doing the oldies show in Putnam, Connecticut anymore. That's pretty much uh, done. I'm pretty much focusing all my uh, energy to uh, up in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, uh, where I am a midday Saturday morning host at WSBS AM and FM in Great Barrington, and people can actually uh, <clears throat> tap into my show by going online at WSBS.com, or you can uh, download the free app. Just search WSBS at your local app store or Google Play. And if you're inclined uh, on our homepage, there's set-up instructions, and you can listen to the show via Google Home and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices as well. Or uh, if anybody's within the sound of my voice in the local area of our tri-state region, which consists of southern uh, Berkshire County, Massachusetts, northwestern Connecticut, and eastern New York, 860 in the AM dial, 94.1 FM. Very awesome. If you send me a link, I will post it subsequently with all your uh, Ron Carson Coliseums. That sounds good. Well, listen, uh, Hercules, I'm going to let you uh, fast forward to your next guest because, as you know, I was in New Jersey all day yesterday, and I traveled from Tenafly in the wee hours of the morning, a very adventurous trip where I also caught some snow when I got into the Connecticut portion of my trip before I got to Massachusetts. Oh, wow. And I had to do a morning show for my boss today, and I did manage to go home and grab a little bit of a nap, and then I had to come back and finish part two of my day, which also included engineering a sporting event and also coming on the show to uh, be with you, but I do believe it's time for me to punch out and uh, close the lights in the Coliseum until next month again when we meet on the air. We'll uh, discuss another fantastic uh, Peplum movie and review another group uh, of that sort of the genre as uh, the sword and sandal a legacy continues to live on in all of our lives, and that is what this uh, get-together and why we do this because of the fact that uh, Peplum films have been a part of our lives and we want Peplum movies to still remain in the back burner of people's heads to uh, rediscover this uh, fine uh, movies that just will never be duplicated on the silver screen ever again. Very good. Thank you, cousin. Sagapa, and I will talk to you soon. And we're going to listen to Dave the Bard's The Cauldron Born before starting the Ember Dragon podcast in a few minutes. All right, Kalinita, I love you. Bye bye. Alexander, I'm going to get going. Sunset moonrise, and see how the land is made in silver hue. You feel so. Come with 
colors of earth, sea and sky, of dragon and fairy, and shades of the night. Hear the call of our ancestors of blood and bone. Spell of 
We call to the powers of earth, sea and sky, of dragon and fairy and shades of the night. We call to our ancestors of blood and bone, of womb and tomb and standing stone. Lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within the darkened hall, hear the goddess carried when called. Come and taste. Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Keridwen call. Come and taste. Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron born. And welcome back to Voice of Olympus From Brian Walker at Brian Stuyven Theater We have an announcement that actor Ed Burns Who's um, profiled on the um, Brian Stuyven Theater website Has passed away on January 8th So uh, we mourn the passing of this B-movie star And uh, we celebrate his uh, many accomplishments Our next segment is an optimal wellness segment with Linda Marciniak of the Amber Dragon. And the Amber Dragon, you must know, is one of my favorite places in New Jersey. And the Amber Dragon uh, community is uh, a community that I greatly love. Greetings and welcome, Linda. How are you? Oh, well, Mary Mead, Hercules, thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing... uh, I'm doing optimistically better. As you know, I've been home uh, recovering from some uh, some complications from a, a knee surgery. And so it's really given me an opportunity to kind of really slow down and sit down and do some great reading and some writing. And, um, you know, every time something like this happens, it's really an opportunity to do some some reassessment. So um, the timing was perfect. And uh, I'm happy to say I, I, I'm feeling better now. I'm glad you're feeling better. And I agree with you. I know when I'm immobilized for whatever reason, um, I realize that it's giving me the opportunity to look at things and think things through and uh, maybe see things and do things differently. Right. I mean, we're so much creatures of habit and our, you know, our our 
mantra is always about, you know, producing and producing and producing, being productive. And, and we have a very narrow vision of, of what that is. Um, you know, socially we've been conditioned and, you know, um, in our own family of origins, we've been tradition uh, conditioned to really define that in, you know, some very rigid ways. And so when you're, when you're taken out of the game and you do not have an, um, an option, you know, you can't do it the way you always do it. Uh, it takes some getting used to. So uh, I've actually um, really been enjoying uh, some of the downtime here. So, you know, once I got it okay. out of my head that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just sitting around, um, then I actually started to fill the time and, and make it, you know, worthwhile. So I, I'm, I am enjoying that piece of it. We think very much alike, and we have a lot of uh, uh, synchronistic uh, correspondences. I'm trying to find something I wrote uh, this morning, actually. Um, ah. It's very, it's very just about what you just uh, said. Um, okay. Here it goes. Um, this year, I'm focused on breaking through my own mental limitations and testing my core assumptions. I want to move past my comfort zone and embrace greater possibilities. Uh, because like you, I realized that uh, a lot of my do not go <laughs> type of things uh, were conditioning. And uh, right. they were conditioned to keep me in one place. And, uh, you know, if I want to stay in that one place, it's one thing. But what if I don't, you know? And uh, um, once you see that it's just words and ideas that are keeping you back and that you, that you could move past these words and ideas, especially if they weren't your own, if they belong to your uh, grandparents or to your parents or to your aunts and uncles or to a television show or a teacher, um, yeah, and you realize that you're older than these people were when they said these things. Uh, it, it's easy to go go past them. Well, you know, and it's also uh, those things, those those structures may still be relevant, just not relevant for where you are right now. And I think the challenge is really to to see ourselves as as fluid to, to see ourselves as, as changeable, as mutable, as, you know, flexible. And I, I think that that's the bigger challenge. So, you know, so when I look at myself and I, you know, I'm one of these people, I'm up every morning, you know, by 5 a.m. I do not need a, uh, an alarm. Um, uh-huh. you know, I'm up at 5 a.m. and I'm at my desk between 7 and 7.30 in the morning. And I'm, you know, by noon, I've put in, you know, a full day's worth of work. And that's fine when I'm in that environment, you know, but when you're home and you're convalescing because you've had, you know, a health issue or a surgery or something like that, you know, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, and insisting on being pressed, dressed and ready for success by 530, um, you know, is not necessarily on the on the agenda. And, you know, it's not my body that's saying this is what has to happen. It is my social conditioning. It's my mindset right. that's telling 
that's telling me if I'm not, you know, up and sitting at my computer by 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm a, you know, complete failure. So to be able to turn that around and say, well, you know, what is in my best interest right now? You know, how can I, how can I be fluid? How can I be um, comfortable and stretch those, those, those comfort levels, those definitions of the self? And, um, you know, it, it took a while to do that, but um, I must say that I'm, I'm actually enjoying the flexibility of making alternate choices for myself every day. Uh, and that kind of, that kind of moves us into the, the topic for tonight, which um, is the, you know, the coming of uh, Imolk. Uh, Imolk, um, also known as Condomas, also known as Groundhog's Day, um, the, the Feast of St. Bridget, uh, is coming between February 1st and February 2nd. And it's, um, it is a, a time of transformation, of healing, of cleansing, of rebirth. I mean, there are a lot of different themes that uh, connect to this time of year and to the, the celebrations that, you know, land between February 1st and February 2nd, you know, wherever, wherever that resonates with you. So, um, so that's really what I thought we could explore a little bit of. It sounds uh, awesome. Tonight's show. Yeah. That, that so awesome. um, it's very much where I am too. So that, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So we think about the cauldron, right? And um, not everybody can relate to a cauldron, but we can all relate to that big old bubbling, boiling um, soup pot that our mothers and our grandmothers right. and our great-grandmothers and our friends' mothers all had on the stove, right? And remember that right. feeling of, you know, coming home and you see that great big pot, you know, on the, on the stove and it's just bubbling away and, you know, maybe depending on the aromas, you know, that hit you when the door opens, you already know, you know, what is in the pot. Sometimes it's the excitement of you know, not knowing until you open the lid and you, you stick your face in there. Um, and a lot of times, you know, being a mom and, uh, myself and, and having, you know, a great big cook pot like that, you know, a lot of times what our, our moms, our grandmothers, our, you know, our ancestors did, right, was they they threw everything that was still hanging out in the house into the pot to remake it. Yes. So it was it was really the magic of leftovers um, that created that 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 homey warming sense of of love of of nutrition of family gathering and when you stop and think about it it, it was usually you know the scraps it was the stuff that was left over um, in small enough amounts that you know in and of itself, it wasn't going to amount to a meal for everyone. It wasn't going to be able to feed everyone. And so it all got thrown in together and stirred around, and it became something greater than itself. It became, you know, the celebration. It became the, the, the food, the 
you know, the nurturing. Um, and so when we think about um, the feast of Imolk, um, the celebration of Breed, Bridget, Bridie, whatever you want to call her, we have to really kind of put it in that perspective, you know, that bubbling cauldron that is um, at, at the same time, you know, frightening and exciting because, you know, we see that cauldron as kind of a, you know, um, a mystery of some sort, but also an opportunity to, to feed ourselves. So, you know, let's look a little bit at, at, you know, what do we throw in that cauldron, right? So depending on what you read, and there is just a ton of stuff out there, you know, uh-huh. you can you can look at Imbolc a few ways. You can look at it as, you know, a, a cleansing ritual, um, in which case, you know, we're going to use that big old pot as a, you know, as a laundry um, or as a, a tub bath, and we're going to, you know, we're going to fill that tub with, um, you know, that which we need to cleanse ourselves with. We could use um, milk. We can use water. We can use herbs and florals and essential oils and, um, you know, bathe ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally um, in the brew that we, that we create as a way to cleanse and heal and transform ourselves. Um, or we could use it, um, you know, to create the, the, the meal that we are going to use as fuel to move us forward. Um, either way, there's really no bad way to look no. at, um, you know, the, the cauldron and, and how you use it this time of year. During my bachelor days, uh, you know, when uh, uh, I had to cook my own food and prepare it, uh, I had two living uh, uh, pots. One of them was for uh, chicken noodles and vegetables that were left over, uh, or turkey, you know, poultry uh, usually. And the other one was for meats, uh, vegetables, beans, and things like that. And one of them mm-hmm. was a chicken, <laughs> and the other one was a chicken soup, basically. And they evolved continuously mm-hmm. because all the leftovers from other meals got thrown into them. And then that was something I could eat at any uh, given time. And sometimes the chili would wind up in uh, um, a, a different uh, bread for like uh, burritos. And I put some cheese right. and olives in the oven. And if I made too much of uh, the soup or the chili, I'd freeze it in plastic bags and then take it out. But it was a living thing in that it never really finished. It just kept getting transmuted mm-hmm. and blended into other things mm-hmm. and, and kept uh, sustaining and even though the old flavors uh, uh, no longer existed as distinct entities, they influenced and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, flavored what was there at the current time. So it was fantastic. It tasted much better than anything you can uh, make from scratch uh, uh, new or take out of a can or uh, um, as leftovers from a restaurant or anything. It was, it was always great. Right. And so, so when we look at that, right, we look at the power of transformation, and basically that's, that's what it is. It's nothing new. We're not throwing new things in the pot. Um, we're throwing old things in the pot, and we are transforming them through, through will, through magic, through prayer, um, you know, through, through hope. 
And and so that's really the beauty of this time of year. You know, symbolically we look at Breed. She is, you know, she is one of the triple goddesses. She's one of three sisters all named Breed. So, you know, we can look at that as, you know, the imagery of the of the triple goddess. And she is in her she is in her maiden aspect right now. So right. we are looking at we're looking at rebirth, you know, we're looking at um, the newborn son um, and the suckling that goes on and the, you know, the feeding from the mother that goes on right now for the, for the new, um, for the new uh, offspring and the new uh, God. And, you know, from an agricultural perspective, this is also the time of the year where, you know, the sheep start giving birth and it's the ewing season. And, you know, I, I was raised uh, on a farm and an mm-hmm. interesting story, you know, that, you know, when we think about spring lamb, we think about, you know, Easter, and we think about, you know, April, and we think about March. and But in reality, you know, the, the sheep are, you know, they're starting to drop um, the lambs in, in January. You know, this time of year, at this, at this you know, at this um, point in the equator, this time of year. So the quote-unquote spring lambs are really – being delivered now and um, when we think about that it's not a very it's not a very graceful uh, time of the year to be giving birth outside right no. so when we we think about it from a from a you know a perspective an artistic perspective we can see how you know maybe um, we wanted to morph that story to you know to a warmer time of the year so that we could picture this, you know, with the butterflies and the the birds and the, you know, the nice soft grass to land on and and ample food to graze in the fields. But the reality is that, you know, birth was happening in the cold, in the ice and the snow, in the barren times of January. And it really required, you know, the pulling together of the flock and the shepherds and the community to mm-hmm. keep to keep those um, those new lambs safe and fed and warm and and nurtured, you know, as a as a as a young girl being raised on a farm, um, you know, we had sheep, and so you know it was this time of year where we'd be looking out the window and oh, you know, somebody had a baby and. You know, so the sheep were not necessarily able to sustain their young by their own, you know, on their own. So it was not uncommon for us to bring the new lambs inside and take care of them and help to supplement feedings and keep them warm. We had a little playpen for them, believe it or not, in the kitchen. And, um, you know, so they would all be kind of hanging out in this uh, playpen area and we would feed them and, and take care of them until they were a little bit stronger and then. Uh, put them back outside. So when we think about the challenges of of being born or being reborn um, into this time of year, it really gives us a little bit more perspective of what we are each going through in our lives. Um, right. Again, you know, hearing from so many people that come into the shop and, and share their stories with me about, you know, the challenges that they're going through. Um, well, those challenges are opportunities to 
to kind of look into that cauldron, to kind of throw that stuff back in the pot and stir it around a little bit more and feed yourself with it, feed your community with it. You know, these are the challenges that are going to bring about a beautiful harvest for us in, in the spring and the summer if we if we use them as as you know a method to cleanse ourselves of what wasn't working in the past or as a as a way to feed ourselves um, you know by by feeding ourselves off of our off of our challenges and our struggles we we develop somewhat of an immunity to them right, um, right. we develop some strength to be able to fight back. So when I look at Imolk um, in, in today, you know, and I kind of modernize that, that um, celebration and that ritual for Imolk, I really see um, how we can utilize our current, you know, life situation as, you know, as ingredients in our own cauldron. Wow. Is there any particular area that you've targeted for transformation this year? Yeah, well, for me, um, you know, it's definitely having to do with my physical health. Um, I I have got to absolutely figure out um, how to negotiate this. You know, as you know, um, about a year ago, I was diagnosed with lupus, and so I am. I'm learning my new norm, and I'm learning how um, my body is going to respond and react uh, differently now to things that in the past would not have impacted me, uh, would not have created uh, infections and complications and and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, being, you know, a very rigid Taurus as I am, um, you know, absolute refusal to change my routine, you know, I am going to do exactly what I always did with my, you know, with my physical exercise routine and my, you know, my yoga and my my workout routine and and all that kind of stuff. And my body has really been uh, teaching me that that's not uh, that's not going to happen anymore. So my goal this year is is really um, to familiarize myself and accept uh, my new uh, homeostasis, my new my new norm, and start to live more freely within that um, instead of fighting it and trying to you know, drag myself uh, into a a skin that doesn't exist anymore. Mine is along similar lines, but um, I accepted certain things uh, I'm finding early in my life, and uh, they've remained my assumption about how things should be, my ruler or my measuring stick. And I've stuck within those uh, parameters for much of my life. And these are things that I chose to do 
uh, after you know making sure that they weren't conditioning. So these are things that even though they might have started off as conditioning, I decided to keep. So I can't blame anybody for instilling these in my head. I keep them uh, and put them in my head. Uh, but now I'm asking myself, do I really want that, or do I really need to uh, abide by something that I decided? long ago. I'm not the same person I was uh, long ago. And I'll give two examples. One was with my uh, exercise and my health. Um, I had accepted a certain type of physique that is reflected in the uh, sword and sandal movies. And I love the sword and sandal movies and they inspire me and uh, they've kind of kept me on course. And um, I'm not ready to give that up uh, totally uh, yet because it it does a lot for me and it, it does reflect who I am. But my body is already better than the body of most of those guys. So I don't need to limit it. I could go past it and consider body types I've never considered before as being too muscular. So I did things differently with my exercise and uh, I started using different equipment as well. Like I used exercise bands now and uh, I'm using a called X3, which is advertised all over the place. So initially, you know, I dismissed it as some sort of gimmick, but I decided to try it. Uh, and I'm finding that I've never gotten workouts this intense before. And after That's I work cool. out for 15 minutes, I'm, exha- I'm exhausted and I can like lie down uh, for, for hours. That's how exhausting it is. So uh, my muscular is changing in a very short period of time and being more than what I had allowed myself to have. And I'm finding also that spiritually, and here you helped me uh, see this. Uh, You told me one time early on in our our relationship that uh, uh, maybe I should take a leadership role. And uh, I thought about that and I've been doing that more and more. And I I look back on why I wasn't taking a leadership role and reflected things that happened to me when I was in metaphysical groups in the 1970s. So this is many, many, many years later, (laughs) and I'm not the kid I was in the 1970s, and these aren't the people that I was working with in the 1970s. So why am I sticking to guidelines that I set, you know, uh, in the 1970s, 50 years ago? It it doesn't make any sense at all, and yet for 50 years, I've allowed myself to be guided by things I decided as a kid, you know. So now I'm able to let go and to, to question, you know, what do I want to do? What would be most uh-huh. effective and beneficial for me to do? And it's not what I saw and decided when I was uh, in my early 20s. And when we look at that, you know, and you, you, you kind of think about that, right? So we, we, we do not historically, you know, as human beings, right, like to get rid of things. Right. Okay, there's this there's just this innate fear that if I if I let go of something that I'm gonna have nothing. So again, if we if we go back to to Breed and her beautiful cauldron right now, you know, take some time. This is a beautiful beautiful um exercise to do between now and, and February first, which is fast approaching. And basically just take out that Take out your cauldron, take out that big old pot and uh, put it on the stove and, you know, add some, some water to that and symbolically throw some things in there that represent, you know, these, these things like your, you know, your past expectations, your, your past definition of yourself, you know, whatever it is. And 
when you throw it in there, watch the transformation. You know, this is this is fun stuff to do. You know, you could take a bath and buy yourself one of those bath bombs. You know, those uh-huh. they look like little bright softballs or whatever. And just as it's as it's just you know transforming, visualize that. You know, what what did that bath bomb symbolize when you threw it in the water? Because what you're going to realize is you didn't lose anything. By letting it go, you have actually, you've actually gotten it back in, in a form that is now going to serve you. So, you know, by doing it this particular way or by avoiding doing this for 50 years because of A, B, C, or D, I've created this gap in my life. I've created this, this bone of contention. Um, I've created this kind of sour um, spot. But if I can throw that back into the mix and I can allow it to dissolve, lose its shape, lose its definition and its form, then I can reform it. Right. And then I can ingest it, I can accept it, in a form that is more to my liking, fits better into my current sense of self or my current capabilities, um, and is going to feed me far better. Um, you know, a, you know, a good example of that, right, is things like, um, you know, like uh, lactose, right? So, right. so many pe- so many people that used to be able to tolerate dairy can no longer tolerate dairy. I mean, I hear this from people all the time. You know, never had a problem with dairy before. Now as they're getting older, their hormones are changing or what have you. Now they're having a problem with dairy. So, you know, this is the Western culture, right? This is the, this is the, um, the analogy right here. So instead of looking at that and saying, well, you know, what is it about dairy that's impacting so many more people than ever before? Instead of looking at that and saying, you know, how can we change this so that, um, you know, dairy isn't impacting people or maybe we don't do dairy anymore if it impacts us. Instead, we create a pill. Right. We create lactate um, and pills just like it that are now going to help you to um, break down the enzymes in dairy so that you can continue to take it. So instead of transforming the old way into something that works better for you, we take a pill and then we continue to to tolerate the inadequacy of the way that it used to be done, right? right? So if we if we eliminate that and we just look at at its core, well, you know, there are so many dairy free alternatives. You know, I don't have to lose cheese. I don't have to lose ice cream. Um, I really don't have to lose anything anymore. And I could still have these things, but I just don't take them you know, with with um, traditional dairy ingredients in them, you know, am I then going to be feeding myself better? So we have to kind of be open 
to those kinds of possibilities. And this is a great time of year to, you know, again, privacy of your own mind. I mean, you don't have to go on Instagram and Facebook and social media and say, you know, hey, guess what? You know, I'm not doing dairy anymore. Um, Uh But within your own mind, start to look at those things that no longer serve you, whether it's an exercise routine or a, um, a diet or a relationship or a job or, you know, uh, whatever it is, and start to, to kind of dismantle it for yourself and throw each piece back into the mix and stir it around and see, well, what can I make of this? You know, what can I make? We've all had those, let's be honest, right? We've all had those soup pots that had to go out to the, you know, to the cat or the dog because they just didn't work out right. Right. But we didn't really lose it. But we didn't really lose anything. We we really kind of gained the understanding that when we mix these particular things together, it this work. is what yeah. the outcome. Right. This is what the outcome's going to be, and it doesn't work for me. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Um. So it's kind of a roundabout. I, I know a roundabout explanation, but um, you know, it sticks kind of to the theme of of what we're talking about. Oh, it, it certainly does. And life lately has been asking me more and more, like, what do I want? You know, not what can I do now or what do I think I should be doing or what do I need to do first? Uh, but what do I really want? And that's a difficult thing to uh, answer. Uh, we tend to obscure what we want and give reasons for not doing it now. Um, and I'm finding that as I uh, ignore those uh, distractions and just uh, focus on what it is that I actually want, that what I want is uh, manifesting. It's starting to form. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the obstacles uh, I anticipated or all the time I thought it would take were illusions. They they were phantasms of my own mind. Well, you just defined, you know, the very nature of magic, right? So the more specific... The, the more clearly we can visualize what our goal is, what our desire is, what we're, our intention is, um, the closer to the mark we're going to get. And a lot of times, you know, we're very vague on what we ask for because, you know, of the fear that we're not going to get it. And that's really tied up in our ego. It's tied up in our in our um, our definition of self, our self-esteem. You know, we question um, our own deserveability, our own worthiness. So at the at the bottom of everything is this fear that, you know, if we ask for it, we're going to be told no. And when you start to kind of consider that, you know, you're not really asking so much as you are manifesting. You're not asking yeah. for something that you don't already have. You are manifesting something that already exists within you. If it didn't exist within you, you would never have had the thought, the desire, the the visualization. So if we start to kind of think about that differently, we start to bring it out from deep within rather than seek it from the outside to bring it to us. Because when you do that, it, it's kind of, um, you know, that's a dicier business, you know, because you're never, you're never going to know exactly what you're going to get. 
But when you start to manifest from what's already within you, um, you have the power to make that happen. And on that note, we've reached the end of our journey today. Linda, it's always wonderful speaking with you. I look forward to it every month, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Well, thank you so much, and blessed be to you and Athena, Hercules. And blessed be to you, the Druid, and the Amber Dragon community. Thank you very much. Have a lovely evening. You too. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antlered Crown and Standing Stone, and then we'll be back with Mythic Gaming. I am the face within the leaf I'm the voice within the tree I am boy, I am man face of the changing man, and I have been your constant guide, from your caves on the mountainside, we have walked hand in hand, and everywhere that I have been, my passing turns the great green, the birds
this winter's day Bones of tree fallen leaves The time of the winter queen But through the wind and snow and rain Know that a part of me remains Holly stands stretch of our show, Mythic Gaming with Timothy Espy and Zach uh, McAtee. Greetings and welcome, gentlemen. How are you? Greetings. Greetings. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. And how are you, Zach? I'm doing well. So both of you uh, PM'd me with lots of interesting information. Who wants to go first? Um, I can take it first. Um, okay. I, I said that we can uh, briefly discuss uh, the new magic set that came out that you would be interested in because uh, oh, awesome. we, we, yeah, we returned to we uh, returned to Theros, the land of the gods, or the plane of the gods. Um, so they released um, some new gods and uh, some interesting mechanics that were pretty cool. Um, yeah. So the next time you come in, I got to show you some cards and uh, so you can take a look at them. Okay, I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to that. Now, in Theros, are the I know it's based on Greek mythology, but do they use Greek uh, mythology characters or just the monsters and the look? Um, so they, they don't copy them identically. Um, you can tell what inspiration they they got from some. Like uh, Fassa is, you know, the the queen of the sea. Um, and okay. she has a bident instead of instead of a trident, you know. So th- th- there's clear, um, you know, correlations between some. Erebos is the the god of the death. Okay. Um, so th- th- there's definitely similarities, but they're not, uh, you know, exact. So what are these new? Uh, what is the new story behind these cards? So, believe it or not, they didn't release... I don't think they released a novel for this one yet. Okay. Um, there's some there's some story spotlight cards, um, which means that they take some art from artists and put, the car, put them on cards, and it gives you a little bit of a story. So, the main story about this one is there's a planeswalker. Her name was Elspeth. Um, she was um, 
I, I guess we'll say killed um, on Theros, and it's her journey escaping death from Theros. That's why it's Theros Beyond Death is the full name of it. Okay, and with Erebus, yes. Erebus in Greek mythology is a city that exists on both uh, sides of the river Styx. So uh, ah, it, it has uh, um, part of it is in this world, in the land of shadows, and part of it is in the underworld. Oh, so there you go. That's a correlation. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's so there's Erebus. Um, there, who else was there? There's uh, Athreos, who's uh, he's uh, white and black. I forget what his deal is exactly. But um, they also released some demigods as well, which were new, um, which is a new little thing. So they're not full gods, but they're demigods. Now, a question I always had about Magic the Gathering, uh, especially given the popularity of uh, D&D settings like Planescape, is why didn't they ever use the the realms in... um, uh, the uh, Magic the Gathering in D&D, because they're owned by the same company. Yep, they're owned by the same company. Um, they just, not just, maybe last year or 18 months ago, um, okay. we went back to a plane called Ravnica, um, and with that, they released a supplementary book called The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Okay. So, So that so they printed enough. It's to be used in conjunction with other 5e stuff. So it gives DMs an idea of who and what you can find on Ravnica when you run a D&D campaign. Yeah, I've been uh, enamored of the Planescape. I've been picking up old Planescape material wherever I could find it. And uh, um, very fascinating setting. Yeah, Planescape and Plane Shift, that, that was sort of some crazy sets for, for Magic back in the day. It was a total shift for everything. Plane Shift is the name of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach, how about with you? You had said that you had started a uh, Pokemon role-playing game. So uh, I started running the system, I think, about 2012, 2013, and I've run a few campaigns here and there, but the first thing I did when I found the system was I wrote a short module. It was a, okay. a one-off session for four players, and since I wrote it in 2012, I've now run that module at this point probably eight times, maybe a little bit more. Okay. So because Tim and a few other people hadn't played the system before, and I was going through all my old books and found everything, I figured I would run this module for everybody and let them get a try with this, this Pokemon system. Uh, So the basic idea is the heroes from the first two games in the series, the the red and blue gen and gold and silver, both ended up fighting the evil team called Team Rocket. In the first game, Team Rocket tried to take over this company called Sylphco. It was uh, like a big technology titan, and they tried to take over the building to steal all their tech. The hero of that game stopped them and saved the company. The idea for the module is it's set 20 years after that point, and Team Rocket hasn't been seen or heard from since. The four players, one of them is a security guard who's worked in the building for 40 years, and he's getting close to retirement. Uh, one of the other players is a young guy 
who won a, a tour of the building, and he was there with his girlfriend, and he has like a hero worship for the young, you know, all the other people who are heroes, but he's very brash and, and stupid. He's just like, he'll rush in. Uh, one of them is another person who won the tour, quote-unquote, but is actually a corporate spy there to find out some of the company's secrets. And then the last character is a member of Team Rocket disguised as a scientist in the building. Team Rocket comes, takes over the building again, and everyone ends up pushed down to the bottom floor of the cafeteria to be kept safe. But the Team Rocket grunt wants to steal an item on the ninth floor of the building, which is the same item that the corporate spy wants to get the blueprints on. So then the two of them and the kid and the security guard need to fight their way up to the top for their various reasons, and then eventually they realize not everybody's what they appear. So at the outset, no one knows that the one guy's Team Rocket. No one knows she's a corporate spy. So it's it's interesting to see when the knife twists, how people react. It sounds like a lot of fun. So you ran it recently and Tim played? Yeah, I ran for our friends Tim, Brad, Scott, and my girlfriend Jamie. So how did it go? I love, I'd love to hear how it unfolded. Uh, it went pretty well. So it started out, uh, Tim was the security guard. Uh, so he was like the more reluctant character, the one who kind of has to be pushed into, all right, let's go do these things. Uh, Jamie played the young, headstrong kid who wanted to be the hero. Scott was the Team Rocket grunt, and our friend Brad was the corporate spy. So okay. they managed to convince the security guard to escort them out of the cafeteria under the premise of, oh, we need to, we need to save everybody. Your job's to protect people, right? So if we kill protect people, they can't be mad that you took us with you. So they managed to convince Tim to begin heading up the tower. Uh, they head up a few floors. They have encounters where they find people who were hiding in fear, and they escorted them to safety. They ran into some Team Rocket grunts and got into a few fights with them. Uh, one memorable fight moment was uh, there's a Pokemon called Voltorb, who's essentially he, he's a ball that's known for exploding. Okay. And uh, what his very commonly is he'll use self-destruct, which means he blows himself up to try and blow up everything around him. So they were fighting a bunch of rocket grunts. They got it down to just the Voltorb, and it started to do self-destruct. And Tim ran forward, and he punched it into the room that the Team Rocket Grunts just ran into and slammed the door closed, so it blew up with them and took them all out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they they continued their way up the tower until eventually they reached the floor with the hidden item, and they managed to break into the lab that had it. So Scott had a Pokemon who could turn invisible that he'd been carrying around the whole game that no one knew he had. So while they're looking at the item, he passed me a note saying he was going to send it to go lead the other Team Rocket guys to his location so that they could get the item. And I I told him, I said, okay, they're going to get here in about five minutes. And I put a timer on the table that only he could see. And he sat there and managed to keep everybody stalling and arguing over what to do for the full five minutes until finally (laughs) everything broke like ten seconds before it when all of a sudden the corporate spy decided to steal the item herself. So she grabbed the item. Scott immediately started fighting her over the item. The other two tried to break up the fight, and then suddenly all these Team Rocket Grunts show up. They, uh, they escort Scott out of the place with the item, 
and they pin everyone else down, and they're, they're going to steal all their valuables and Pokemon and take their Pokemon away. But the corporate spy was a character class who knew the levels and knew health and items and, and moves that Pokemon could learn, which in this game only this class can do. So the young boy had a special focus of Pokemon that were lower level and unevolved. And one of their capabilities is they could, once a day, make that Pokemon use a move that one of the things it evolves into use, a much more powerful move that they wouldn't be able to use normally. So the researcher quickly did the math on the levels and figured out what moves they could use. And the younger kid used a very high-powered move that caused a small earthquake in the room, took out all the rocket grunts, and they managed to keep their Pokemon and their, their belongings. So at the end, the Team Rocket Grunt managed to get away with the item. So he escaped. He completed his objective completely. But the Corporate Spy also got pictures of the device, which means that she got paid for her job. The security guard didn't get fired. He just got demoted to lobby duty for the last six months before he was done. And the young kid got some TV time, so he was happy with that. Awesome. And Tim, how did you enjoy the adventure? I I really enjoyed it because it's um it was familiar to me as um, I played through Red when I was a kid uh, Pokemon Red when I was a kid, um, so I, I liked it because it was familiar and and um, I could take a lot from the games and I played the card game as well and I could use those you know not not that I wanted to use my prior knowledge but I could use some skills that I knew um, in this game so I I enjoyed it and. Zach, I'm sure we can talk about uh, the new thing that that is hopefully going to be happening soon. Aha! (laughs) A tantalizing hint of things to come. Um, Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm looking looking forward to when uh, you could share it. Uh, So will this game continue, or was this a a one-shot? This was a one-shot, just to give people a taste of the system. But uh, because everyone seemed interested and it kind of re-sparked my interest in the, in the game, uh, there's something I've been working on for the past few years on and off. Uh, I'm trying to build my own country and setting based off of Norway and okay. the Norwegian gods. So I'm, I'm pretty far along in it. I probably have a couple more months before I'd be ready to go. But uh, I'm trying now to knuckle down and finally actually complete it so that hopefully we can start running it and play a game in the system. And this is a system of your own invention, or are you using another uh, rule set? It was made online by a group of fans, and I think now it's it's like version 2.34 or something, but it started at, when I was playing at version 1.3. So it was, it's going through plenty of revisions. I've, uh, I haven't helped developed the main books but i have wrote content for it and posted it on the sites of, like here's uh here's how to play zombies in this mode or here's how to take this thing from the video games and do this here here's a small campaign you can do with this unique legendary pokemon and things with that so i've i haven't developed the actual system but i have built things from the ground up for it yeah, a lot of people love the the Pokemon. I'm a bit too old to understand really Pokemon. I've tried to several times because my children were into it, uh, but it just eludes me. Uh, but I, I, you know, can't uh, fail but notice the love that people uh, uh, hold for the mythology and for the characters. 
Right. I'm excited for this because, like I said, like, I love Pokemon, and I look at Norway as, like, my second home. I've been there, and I have, you know, Uh very close, you know, I I call them family, you know, my godfather, and, you know, so I have people that live out there, so Zach has a full map already drawn or printed out with, you know, names that are similar, like, you can kind of tell where where we are in, in terms of the actual Norway, so it's, you know, two things that I that I hold very dear, so I think they will both go very well together. I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, those uh, things as they uh, develop and uh, happen. Um, I was very much impressed with uh, Bigfoot versus Yeti. Um, I didn't have anybody to play with, which was the unfortunate uh, thing, uh, but I did tell my group at the uh, Cresco Public Library about it, and they were interested. So uh, hopefully I'll get to play it uh, with them there. But uh, the cards are very beautiful. The directions are very clear. Uh, and the situations are very true to life uh, with, uh, you know, very tongue-in-cheek. I saw Zach's name as the researcher, so that was a pleasant uh, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, yeah, they had to the write the brief uh, synopses of the monsters. Yes, very well described, and uh, um, I, I love the way they mirrored reality, because I've investigated the paranormal on and off for, for decades, and it does kind of boil down to that. It's, uh, um, you know, are you going to be seen as a serious researcher, or are you going to be seen as a kook? And that's what it seems to boil down to, and some people are um, acknowledged as cryptozoologists or researchers into the paranormal uh, and are taken seriously, and other people are dismissed as uh, as kooks. Uh, so you have a lot of stake when you enter that uh, arena. And yeah, there are all sorts of uh, things like you know blurry photographs and other dubious uh, evidence, you know, that uh, some people accept and other people dismiss. Uh, and it's really uh, uh, an interesting type of place to find yourself. Um, John Keel had written a book called Disneyland of the Gods. Uh, that talks about, you know, what it's like, uh, all of a sudden you find yourself in Oz or in like a different uh, place uh, if you investigate these mysteries and things start to happen that uh, are are very unusual at best. And then you always have, like in the card game, uh, the enigmatic aliens, you know, and where do they fit into the scheme of things? Uh, Today I'm I'm developing more shows and one of them will be at a radio station. So this conversation uh, came up, you know, where do the aliens fit into this picture? And uh, I think they couldn't decide whether I was somebody serious or Cook, you know, and I was thinking of the, uh, the card game. <laughs> so uh, that was very well done. And it says that it was based on a game called Conflict. I, what's that game like? Or Conspiracy uh, Theory? On, uh, conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very similar in gameplay mechanics, and uh, the idea is it focuses more on like urban legend. So whereas okay. this game is just the cryptid, so it's like, oh, it's the Jersey Devil. Oh, it's Nessie. The other game focuses on the Men in Black, uh, the Mayan okay. Apocalypse, you know, all, all these other things that are, are related, but not the same. Uh, and a lot of the mechanics carried over from Conspiracy to Bigfoot versus Yeti. So they kind of took everything that they worked with before, refined it, made some changes, and then made Bigfoot versus Yeti off of that. And I like how you're constantly dealing with the unknown and with the tabloids, you know, where a lot of this information is uh, uh, reported. And in my long life of doing different things, I'm proudest 
of having uh, written for 15 like tabloid type anthologies, you know, so <laughs> I consider those yeah. the jewel in the crown because I love doing it so much. That's how we actually, we just played it earlier this evening because we, we knew that you were going to be reviewing it today. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to actually playing it with uh, someone. But I played enough games, you know, to uh, to appreciate the the thoughts that went into it, and the humor that went into it, and the uh, reality, if you can call it uh, that, of uh, this particular field of endeavor. Uh, so if someone couldn't go out and actually do these things, this card game is actually a very close approximation of the type of situations you'd uh, find yourself in. And also I found the conflict with the Bigfoot and the Yeti quite uh, interesting too, because different theories are always wrestling for supremacy in the paranormal field. And a lot of times how seriously you're taken depends on which pet theory uh, you adhere to. Uh, whichever one happens to be popular or winning at the time. And if you adhere to a different theory, you're kind of like, you know, you're going to lose regardless of, uh, of what you do. Even on right on the back of the box, it says how, you know, the Yeti is like over more overlooked than the Bigfoot. So he's trying to make his stand or whatever. Right. Right on the Uh, back of the box. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Excellent game. Very well done. And, uh, um, lots of fun as well. Are you writing? Yeah, I, I guess I go ahead. Um, real quick, um, I, I probably can't say too much about it, but you know, every New Year's, um, Zach's uh, and uh, aunt and uncle um, invite people over to the house. We play board games, and I got to play in my first beta test, which was very in theme for shoot again games in terms of conspiracy theories and and uh you know cryptids and and other stuff so so that, that that's something that hopefully they release sometime soon and you can and you can check that out too um, okay i think it'd be right up your alley right up your alley as well it was a fun game and r- right from the beta test you know it was very clear as to what direction they were going and it seemed very solid just just in the first playthrough it was great fantastic something to look forward to and zach are you writing the descriptions of the uh aliens and cryptids for that as well? I'm not sure yet. I actually didn't get to try the beta because there's so many people at the, uh, at the new year's thing that we kind of like, we got separated into different games. So hopefully when I go down and see them and have some one-on-one time that I can talk with them, I can learn more about it, maybe try it and see if that's happening in the future. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the Atlantis game. I opened it and I was reading the uh, rules and looking at the pieces and that seemed like a lot of fun too. And that I'm actually going to use in lieu of a role-playing session at the library because uh, we've done the rise of Atlantis. We had like a time wars type of thing. So in this particular timeline, Atlantis never sank. Yeah. So uh, Poseidon is missing and Triton rules the seas and that's what's been going on uh, uh, with that. Uh, it's probably going to run for like two years, uh, mostly at the Kreska Library, but also in other places as well, including hopefully level, level one games. Um, but uh, I could definitely see having that uh, as a replacement for a session as people try to loot <laughs> Atlantis, uh, which is sinking. Yeah, looting Atlantis is a lot of fun. I love that game. Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite of the games they've made, honestly. Really? Yeah, I, I, there's something about just the, the, the choices you have to make 
because it's much more open. You can go across the entire board. You can take any cards you want, but you have to realize, okay, if I'm taking this card, I'm opening it up so that the next person can take this one, which means they'll get this many points and so on and so forth. It's going to be fun integrating those items into the role-playing campaign too. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, one interesting tidbit is, and I, I've mentioned this before, is almost all of the art is of my aunt and uncle, my cousins, and I think the people who designed the uh, the art for the game. But uh-huh. uh, there's one card in particular that my cousin Harry is wearing a helmet to like broadcast his thoughts. And so what they did was they, they took a real-life photograph of him wearing a colander on his head and then had the artist draw that and just make it look high-tech. Yeah, I, I love the – you're very fortunate to uh, have exposure to that type of environment because they, they have a great sense of humor uh, and a, a really uh, uh, twisted way of, uh, of looking at things that, that's very humorous. Yeah. So did, are, are there any um, uh, New Year's resolutions uh, in regard to gaming for this year? Ooh, for me, guess, uh, yeah, there's... Oh, you go. <laughs> for me, there's... Um, so running a video game store, I don't have that much time to devote to okay. games. Um, so th- there's a couple games coming out. Luckily, there was a few coming out at the same time, but one got pushed back a little bit to like quarter four of 2020. Um, so I'm looking forward to being able to actually finish both of those games. One is a cyberpunk game, so that fits right in my uh, right in my wheelhouse. Um, so yeah, just to, to be actually be able to play a little bit, you know, more than I have been. Zach, how about you? Uh, I think given recent events, mine would have to be to actually finally finish this Norway campaign so that I can play it and put it to bed and just be like, all right, I did it. <laughs> it's over. Do you think Shoot Again Games would, would venture forth into role-playing games and publish it? Uh, probably not, especially given that this is a, a fan made of like a, a licensed product by Nintendo, who's known to be particularly possessive of ah, their okay. uh, ideas. So uh, it's certainly something that money could never be made on. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just it's something that it was very personal to me, and there were personal reasons why I stopped working on it due to a falling out I had with someone who was very integral to my, my work processes and, and who I was kind of designing it for, you know? And so it's been a hard journey back to get onto the horse, just try and start to find that motivation again, knowing that that person will, will like never play it. You know what I mean? Mm. Is there any way you could change the setting? Cause uh, Norway you could certainly use. And is there any way you could do something that's not identical to, but similar in concept uh, to what you're using? And this way it'll be something uh, separate and different because what you're doing sounds it's exciting. Possible. I've definitely, my favorite bit has been coming up with the actual, the Pokemon, the monsters. And so I could okay. definitely, because I've made all these monsters from scratch, they don't have to be Pokemon. They can just be in anything. So right. I have a, a bestiary of 44 creatures that I made, uh, technically, sorry, uh, I think 67-ish, uh, ballpark at 65, 70 creatures I've made, uh, a good 15 to 18 of which are based directly off of either Nordic gods or Nordic, like, monsters like Fenrir, Hugin and Munin, 
Uh, and then there's like 44 of them that I, I pulled from different animals that live in Norway and other Scandinavian countries, as well as the myths that they have in those areas. So the bestiary could go wherever. Because the Dungeons and Dragons, when it uh, launched, I believe uh, they boasted 150 uh, monsters, and you're not that far away uh, from that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and if you invented it was them, a really you could even something like a, a adopt. They could be adapted into other systems. You can come up with your own. Uh, um, uh, adaption formulas where people can easily bring them into whatever system they happen to be playing. Yeah. That would be nice. As I always love world building. And, and, and uh, you use your creativity all the time. And uh, I really would like to see more people benefit from your creativity. I appreciate that. I've thought about it a lot recently, and I, I feel like if there was a single word that could be used to sum up who I am as a person, it's probably storyteller. Yeah. So whether it's for a small audience of two or three of my closest friends, or like I used to run a theater club, I used to do plays, Just I just like to tell a story and have people have a good time in the telling. That's what well, I'm I've already well, benefited so... I've already benefited from the from the storytelling because you know I still talk about you know the the ten candles that we did and dread and stuff that uh-huh. we did because I I didn't have too much experience with with role playing and stuff outside of video games and stuff which is very you know solitary you're playing a game generally by yourself so getting out and being with people and being with friends and stuff and and experiencing stuff together is is always uh, always a good time. You're very creative uh, also, though. And I, the way you describe the games that you've played, especially the ones you feel um, passionate about, you're very dramatic in your storytelling. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Zach, Zach has the more creative storytelling where if I can experience something, then I can I can tell a story about it. But you can still tell a story about it, and that's the important thing. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> My uh, resolution in terms of gaming, too, is to make time to at least play one game uh, through <laughs> to this year. Because uh, I, I love uh, games. I, I really, really love uh, games. And uh, I still, like, collect games and read games. And uh, But uh, other than what I do for literacy at the library, I really have no time at all that I can budget for games. Um, so, um, I really would like to pick one game and just kind of play it whenever I get a chance and finish it uh, by the end of the year. So that's one of my resolutions as well. I I did grab something for you. Somebody came in today with some stuff. Um, you're not, you probably won't be able to play it and you might, and you might have it already, but I grabbed it anyway, just, just as a token to say, here you go. Cause I thought it was cool, but you just have to remind me because your memory is probably better than mine. So remind me next time I see you to give it to you. I'll leave it in the store. But uh, I I I thought it was a cool little thing. I will write it in my book, but I I wouldn't count on my memory being better than yours. My memory's been horrible. (laughs) You'd be surprised. (laughs) My memory's pretty bad, too. (laughs) We have like six more minutes. What's new and exciting at Level 1 games that people should come in for? Ooh, okay. So the new... The new Magic set released, like I said, so we'll be supporting that for the foreseeable future. Um, awesome. 
we uh, the new Pokemon set. We just did the Pokemon pre-release uh, yesterday, which was a, a hit as well. So that was nice. Um, so we'll be supporting that for the foreseeable future. Um, I know that Magic is coming out with some more little, um, you know, ancillary sets and stuff. Um, so we'll be doing that. And we're also exploring some other options that we can, you know, do some more. You know, business is always about growth, so finding some other different ideas. So having you come in maybe to run some stuff would be uh, would be a fun thing. Um, we'll, just, we'll have to discuss that, obviously. Um, but, yeah, just, always always looking for, for new stuff to do. So always something new going on. We should be coming up in the next uh, week or two, so uh, um, we will come over. Last time the weather uh, we were down there. The weather wasn't that good, so we had to uh, come back yeah. uh, and didn't go to all the places we would have liked. But uh, I really want to drop by, so uh, I'm looking forward to talking then. I have some ideas, and I'll share them with you. Um, and uh, Zach, any games uh, you're going to be running in the near future, or any new releases from Shoot Again Games? Uh, besides the beta test, there's nothing new that I know of so far for them. But they usually have two or three things they're testing at once. So I know that there was one I, I beta tested like two years ago that I haven't seen anything on yet, but I'm sure it's on their back burner. Um, as far as anything else new, uh, I don't know when I'll be running it, but I just got the uh, Kickstarter bundle I backed Ooh. for a yep. D&D 5E setting called Humblewood. So the idea is it's a setting. They give you cities, maps, country, whole kind of thing, but they introduce bird folk, bird people. So there's five main races of bird people. They're based off of uh, pigeons, chickens, crows, uh, raptors, and owls. And then they also okay. introduced five other races that are foxes, deer, hedgehogs, mice, and uh, – ooh, I'm blanking on the last one. Uh, I cannot remember, honestly, off the top of my head. Oh, raccoons, raccoons. That's what it is. Okay. Because they're, they're, they're named interesting things, so I couldn't remember the name. But uh, – it's very much like a, a folksy fairy tale type setting, the old fables where animals behave like people. So it's very interesting watching them develop it. And in particular, and I think you would get a kick out of this too, they have a very well-developed mythology section. So the religion and mythology of all the different races that you can play as, they have written out. And that was my favorite part, hands down. I am looking forward to checking into that as well. Thank you, gentlemen. You're awesome. I missed speaking with you, and I'm glad we got a chance to speak uh, tonight. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next conversation and possibly connecting when we're in the area. Yes, looking forward to it as always. It's always wonderful talking to you. It brightens up my spirits. It makes me feel I'm already feeling a little bit better, honestly. So it's, uh, it's lovely speaking with you. I'm honored, and to all who joined us at home, thank you. And until next time, from all of us to all of you, joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember... All manifestations of the divine are equally valid.